Our speaker this evening, Peter Koch, has been a participant in Bay Area printing for a very long time and will be enlightening us as to post-World War II developments in the Bay Area, which, as it constantly tells you, is the most active part of the country as regards modern fine printing, or certainly we would all agree so far as the first and the third word in that uh, phrase. And it's a great pleasure to welcome one of the authentically modern fine types as well as one of the modern printing types to this podium, Peter Koch. Thank you very much for inviting me, Terry. I'm, it was really an opportunity for me to visit New York, too, the first time I've been here since uh, uh, 1965. Uh, okay. I, uh, uh, it's also a, 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 an opportunity for me to talk about something that has really escaped uh, the, um, um, the lecture circuit that I know and that I inhabit. I, I, I am, uh, have been listening to people talk about the book arts for uh, 15 or 20 years and, and, and nobody really wants to talk about what's happening now. Everybody has a, well, I don't know, there's something, there's something about it that makes it difficult to do and so I was just itching when Terry gave me an opportunity to talk to you tonight to say something about the more recent work. Okay, so my subject matter tonight is a survey, uh, really a short collection of historical notes about a selection of 30 or so printers and the 19 presses under the imprint of which they have published. All the presses are in the Greater Bay Area and all were active during the period from 1975 to 1985. Not exactly post-World War II exactly, but uh, uh, some of the printers that I'll talk about, of course, were active at that time. There are obvious omissions for which I will apologize in advance and plead guilty. You may correct, criticize, or cajole me later, but time disallows a fair hearing for all. The Bay Area, for my purposes, extends north into Marin County and south to the seaside resort of Santa Cruz, east to the cities of Oakland and Berkeley, and, of course, west to the Pacific Coast Highway, the Fertile Crescent, so to speak, <coughs> uh, of the, uh, the Fertile Crescent, at, at the center of which is the magnetic specter of San Francisco itself, a city of obvious beauty and a truly wonderful climate. The coolness of the summers there have been noted by physicians and printers, the former for the purpose of educating young surgeons, as a cadaver there will remain fairly fresh for a good long time. It was <laughs> and, uh, well, and from the, uh, pr the printing world, where um, the, e the even temperature, the fog, and, the, and uh, all for the extraordinary qualities that they lend to printing papers, minimum shrinkage, and a pleasant dampness which enhances ink receptivity. These are actually little quotes uh, from one from uh, a Roxburgh Club broadside uh, about a surgeon who, was, uh, tr who wanted to uh, 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 tell people back east in a long letter why there should be a medical school on the west coast. There wasn't one yet. And his, his main argument, of course, was that the, the students would have a, a good shot at any one cadaver. Anyway, the title Ink Slingers reveals a certain romance and a maverick sensibility, which certainly does infuse our culture way out there on the western edge. We are beholden to no one, although if we were, we would be beholden to Grabhorn. Uh, the Grabhorn brothers, and on the distaff side, Jane Grabhorn, were thought by some critics to be the finest printers in the world in their day. 
The influence they exerted was enormous. The most prominent printers I shall mention tonight, Adrian Wilson, Jack Stoffaker, William Everson, Andrew Hoyam, and the Allens, Lou and Dorothy, all have acknowledged their debt and paid homage to the Temple Grabhorn, some more grudgingly than others. In 1987, the Book Club of California published the third volume of its series entitled California Printing, a selected list of books which are significant or representative of a California style of printing. Uh, part 3, 1925 to 1975 is the most recent example we have of someone talking about what's happening. The last entry is William Everson's Monument to the Poet Robinson Jeffers, and now I'll start the machine up. Which monument is right here behind me? Uh, if, so, if if I'm not I'm not in a good position to watch the, the um, how sharp the image is. So if it's not, just say something and I'll look. Um, anyway, this this is a landmark in my opinion in the history of printing, a a book that Joseph Blumenthal has called a work of art. Uh, this book and Jack Stoffaker's Phaedrus are more than any other books to my mind simultaneously and open and close an epoch in California fine printing. This is, this is Jack's Phaedrus. Um, Stoffaker's cool and spare intellectual approach to design on the one hand, a classic approach, and Everson's personal warm and experimental approach on the other. Uh, if Everson, if uh, Jack is classic, then Everson is eccentric. This is, uh, these books carry to an extreme their major tendencies in design and philosophy. Stoffaker entirely ignores the American continuum and draws upon Italian influences for his inspiration. Everson gathers his strength from his own region's history and materials. Uh, in his book, Fine Printing, the San Francisco Tradition, James D. Hart discusses, among others, William Everson, Jack Stoffaker, and Adrian Wilson. Hart closes with a discussion of, quote, the youngest of all major post-Grabhorn printers, Andrew Hoyam. And here, then, is my point of departure. Instead of post-Grabhorn, in deference to James Hart, I might r rather title my talk Post-James Hart, alluding, in my opinion, <laughs> to uh, my opinion that Andrew Hoyam is not the last word in San Francisco printing in any event into the fray here. My thesis, if anything so, exa if so exacting a term may be applied to so loose a collection of opinion and a few facts, is that the period from 1975 to 1985 is an exceptionally fertile period for the book arts in the Bay Area. Seven colleges and universities offered classes in letterpress printing, book binding, and the history of book. Over 50 presses operated during the period, and the list of published works is truly prodigious. More than merely fertile, the period is rife with controversy and the spirit of experimentation and humor. Every conceivable canon of bookmaking is broken, ignored, and indeed trampled upon in the exuberant atmosphere of the period. Books are issued in cans and shower caps. Books are finally excluded from being merely books, and we welcome the book-like object. On the one hand, William Everson and the book as monument, as a field for individual expression, and on the other, Jack Stoffaker and the book as text, pure typography, tasteful, rational, a vehicle for ideas as they are embodied in the author's words. 
Now, Adrian Wilson was a more moderate, was more moderate than either Everson or Stoffaker. Adrian respected the text, but was not so rational, so cool. He loved to experiment, but never put himself so far forward as to disturb the purity of the text or to disturb the slumber of the canons. Playful and acrobatic, tasteful and ultimately influential. William Everson, Jack Stoffaker, and Adrian Wilson, the big three in our little pond. Each of these men influenced many students and apprentices through their uh, examples and through their educational activities. All three taught at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Jack and Adrian both taught at the University of San Francisco, uh, or at the San Francisco Art Institute, and Adrian occasionally taught the history of book design uh, at the uh, University of California, Berkeley, in the library school. Nearly all the printers I will mention tonight were either students of or the student of a student of one of these men. Now, before I proceed to the next generation of printers, I must first mention Lou and Dorothy Allen, who span generations and still produce lovely volumes. The Allen Press is justly famous for their use of the hand press, achieving masterful results. A very private press, the Allens are not, however, influential among the younger printers, uh, except, of course, as a model of purity and craftsmanship. Now we'll get finally to a few of these pictures that I brought with me. Andrew Poem and his Arion Press is another major force. And despite his phenomenal output, his commercial strength, and his radical ideas, Andrew was the first to issue a book in a can, he is not finally a very influential printer in terms of the younger generation, unless it be as a foil or perhaps as a scapegoat, as everyone loves to pull on his beard. One prominent San Franciscan, when presented uh, with a copy of Flatland, immediately put it in her refrigerator, saying that it reminded her of a can of sardines. His Moby Dick, which we have here, illustrated by Barry Mosier, was a, an enormous book and the first to, do, to break the $1,000 barrier. His latest, uh, Ulysses, uh, is illustrated by Robert Motherwell, is simply gigantic. It's about seven plus inches thick. That is twice the thickness of the Oxford Universal Dictionary and nearly twice the two-volume Random House Remembrance of Things Past. And the $7,500 price tag is for the cheaper edition. Andrew is the most prominent of all the Bay Area printers and most recently acquired the legendary Mackenzie and Harris Type Foundry. It is at this point that there emerges a clearly different generation of printers, publishers, a generation defined not so much by age as by intention and influence. The uh, first person I'm going to talk about, I have no slides for because he has he's become such a ridiculous enigma because of some of his, his, uh, his tactics that it's really hard to get a good slide of him. I, I don't have the, uh, the, uh, the way to do it myself. So I'll just give you a, a little talk about Clifford Burke and then we'll get on to the rest of it. Clifford Burke's Cranium Press is the press most likely to fall through the cracks as he falls back into the pre-75 era but was not included in either the book club or James Hart's surveys. Clifford was very influential, more for his generous spirit and his evangelistic teaching than for any notable book monuments. He studied under Adrian Wilson, and his design shows the influence of Adrian, and through Adrian, Stanley Morrison. Cranium Press was devoted to Clifford's main passion, poetry, and he printed over a hundred titles. Uh, I think the first thing that you will notice about what comes after this is that, is that poetry is the main driving force of the printers here. And this is you know, fairly different than the preceding printers. Um, 
anyway, he, he produced over 100 titles as well as several hundred broadsides, posters, and ephemeral items, all related to poetry or the book arts. Clifford moved to San Francisco and opened his press in 1966. His earliest work was lithographic, and in 1967 he studied with Peter Bailey, a graphic designer who was associated with the uh, Zen Buddhists in San Francisco, and from 1968 to 1970 he worked part-time with Adrian Wilson. From 1970 to 76, he operated his press full-time. Under his own imprint, he published Lou Welch's Redwood Haiku and other poems and Michael McClure uh, book, Mammals, in 1972. His most notable work, The Maya Quartos, were published over a period of several years and included texts by Jack Hirschman, Sid Corman, Philip Whalen, Theodore Enslin, Robert Duncan, and Lou Welch, among others. He worked with Gary Snyder, and printed the Fudo trilogy for Shaman Drum Publishers in 1973. Other publishers he designed and printed for included City Lights, Turtle Island, The Book Club of California, Wingbo, Oyez, etc. In the pantheon of poetry on the West Coast, this is a pretty legendary group of people. Clifford taught classes at Mills College, Lone Mountain College, California College of Arts and Crafts, the Urban School, a private high school, and the University of California Extension at Berkeley. An extremely opinionated man, Clifford published Printing It, a do-it-yourself manual for small press publishing, Ballantine Books, 1972, and Printing Poetry, his manifesto, Scarab Press, San Francisco, about 1983. For Clifford, printing was in integral, or integral with his writing of poetry and his spiritual studies influenced by the Zen Buddhist community of San Francisco. He left San Francisco for Anacortes, Washington, his home turf in 77, to pursue his writing career. And his most recent articles on type appear in Publish Magazine. Now, Wesley B. Tanner began printing in high school in Los Angeles in the 50s, he moved to Berkeley in 1965, and published his first book, Cancrum Orus, in 1970. You know, there's two kinds of printers. You know, there's the kind that, were, that will immediately tell you that they started printing when they were two and a half or three, and then there were the other kind, you know, that came to it a little later in their life. In uh, 1971, he was hanging out with Clifford Burke and printed Jack Spicer's The Red Wheelbarrow at, at Cranium Press. In 1972, he moved his press from his present location to his present location on 9th Street in Berkeley, in the flats of Berkeley. He has printed over 80 books and published about 40 of them himself under his imprint, Arif Press. I shall illustrate four of his works. This first one is the title page for To Flood, 1981, a collaboration with the papermakers at Twin Rocker in uh, Indiana. And I think that the, the, the illustration is made by paper pulp, and it, it, uh, except for the one on the, on the left-hand side in the center, which is a print of some sort. The, um, the second is uh, a page from The Ideal Book by T.J. Cobden Sanderson. This is one of Wesley's favorite books, and he's, he's issued it two, two times now, each illustrated differently uh, with different typographic errors. The book, the book of Benjamin, 1982, uh, is a collaboration between him and the poet Michael McClure. Michael McClure is you know, one of the wild men of the beat generation and a legend in his own time who wrote fabulous stuff. Uh, I could talk about him for a long time. But anyway, he, um, Wesley um, had seen uh, Michael over a period of years being collecting little cards with words on them, and he, 
and, and, and then one day Wesley saw someone uh, experimenting, I think his name was Gary Frost, uh, with a, 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 some kind of a wild binding like that, and, and he, it became clear what he had to do, and he came home to Berkeley and uh, began work on the Book of Benjamin. And then the fourth one I'll show you is The Centaur, uh, with an etching by the artist Joseph Goldin, a very beautiful little thing, and a very small edition of about 30, I believe. Wesley printed Fine Print magazine for many years, and in partnership with, with in partnership with Will Powers, and presently teaches the Bancroft Library class in the hand-produced book. His work in progress is an edition of Horace in Latin. Now the uh, the next press is the Five Trees Press, which was formed in 1972, primarily of Clifford Burke's apprentices. Uh, of the five, I don't know which ones claim to be apprentices, so I have to be careful. I keep finding out that everyone wants to claim somewhere along the line that everybody has been a student of Clifford, and then you actually ask them if they were, and they start disclaiming it these days. So anyway, Jamie Robles, Cheryl Miller, Cameron Bunker, Eileen Callahan, and Kathy Walkup making up the five. Now this press, uh, for this press, each of these ladies ponied up 200 bucks and bought a press. And I quote directly Kathy Walkup. Their first book, Crocus Sprouting, by Jane Rosenthal, was published in 1973. In 1974, they published Jamie Robles' Eva Awakening. She wrote the poems and illustrated it. And in 1975, H.D.'s uh, book, The uh, Poet and the Dancer. Now, Modulations for Solo Voice, by Denise Levertov, was their most notable book, and in 1979 they published their tenth and last book, Willie's Throw, a baseball poetry book by Paul Metcalf. In 1976, Cheryl and Kathy opened an all-women's job shop called Pear Tree Printers, and after that enterprise closed, Cheryl taught printing for a number of years at the San Francisco Urban School, a private high school, and in 1987 married Will Powers, and they moved to Minneapolis, where they are today, Kathy Walkup went on to found the first graduate program in the book arts in the United States at Mills College in Oakland, which has only recently closed its doors to incoming students. Robles went on to work at the Lapis Press in Los Angeles, and Cameron Bunker is a conservator at the University of California, Berkeley. So there's, there's, there's where the five went. Uh, the Poltroon Press, established in 1974 by Alistair Johnson and Johnston and Francis Butler published their first work in 1975 titled, typical of Alistair, a long-winded one, a note containing the opinion of one Christopher Marley concerning the damnable judgment of religion and scorn of God's word by Richard Baines. Poltroon has published Francis Butler's illustrations, which you have here, and prints. The writings of their favorite authors, Tom Raworth, this is Tom Raworth's writings, Leslie Scalapino, Daryl Gray, Tom Clark, Philip Whelan, William Everson, as well as typographic writings by Jan Chickold, Hendrik Vervliet, and the bibliographic and poetic writings of Alistair Johnston himself. This is uh, a... <laughs> the mystery to me is how we got that word Saban up there printed. It's in about 14 colors, and every, of course everyone is different, every copy. I, I'm, I think what he did really is that he stuck his finger into a, lot of, into a lot of different pots of ink and then went over and finger-dabbed the word for each copy that he printed. They're pretty messy, actually. Um, this is uh, from Vervliet's um, 
book on Grandjean from 1981, then the Auron Press bibliography of 1976, and uh, this is, uh, I brought this along for Terry to enjoy. This is their uh, canine wine, Me Dog, Coat to Bone, etc. And then this one, which I wish I could just read to you, because the, uh, the work of the press is iconoclastic, humorous, and with no clear line of descent. And one of the three press, one of the, uh, and also one of the three presses, including Rebus and Samba Reptiles, which steer clear of the studious and the canonical, irreverent and absurd, he, he may be, although as irreverent and absurd though he may be, Alistair tends towards Jack Stoffaker's rational aesthetic when left to his own devices. Uh, you saw the Saban little item. That's very Stoffakerian. Now, I don't know. I'm going to read this to you just for fun, okay, because I can see it better than you can. First of all, you have to know that this comes out right at the time that Alistair, right at the time that Andrew Hoyam was uh, uh, publishing uh, Moby Dick. And no one had seen such an expensive book before from a press on the West Coast, probably or any coast in this country, that wasn't, you know, from a really established artist. All right, anyway. The Aryan Press <coughs> announces the publication of the Prospectus for Kind Kampf. Although it will take years to handset the many pages of this overlooked classic of modern philosophy, the Aryan Press, formerly Longhorn alumni, feels confident in announcing the impending publication of the deluxe offset illustrated prospectus for the edition, which will describe the text, a definitive new scholarly edition of the neglected Bad M's manuscript. The format, carefully preserving the, the uh, layout of every preceding fine press edition, guaranteed to fulfill the expectations of even the most antiqua antiquated bibliophile. The paper and overrun of Federal Reserve stock gilt-edged to satisfy the most discerning investors with our attracting, without attracting undue attention. Slightly watermarked. The format, hyperbolized quarto, or hemifolio, approximately four, 415 inches, four, I can't read that, center, center, four by five inches, or 2.3 by 3.9 meters foreign. The illustrations, charming school of Baskin and Kent engravings blend in unobtrusively while recapturing the spirit of the halcyon days before 1939. The type is pliable monotype with non-aligning G for added sparkle. <laughs> topped, with a, uh, uh, topped with a serving of special gouty swish terminals removed during a confusing fire drill at Deep Dean. And the, and the keystone of the historic collection of Victorian novelty types which have been acquired from the incompatible J.H. Nash and General Business Forms Incorporated, the Aldous of San Francisco. I can't go on. It's too hard for me to read more. Read the last paragraph. Oh, the last paragraph. That's probably a good one. The addition... This genuine collector's item is a bona, bona fide hedge against inflation in the special low, low investor's introductory price of $999.95. Optional are detachable kid gloves for $87.50, specify small, medium, or large. The prospectus will be available shortly. Ask your broker or to countersign the purchase supplication. <laughs> well, 
I mean, I, I, this is, of course, off the record. I didn't write this down. And I'm delivering this lecture in San Francisco next week. And, and I've invited Andrew to come. And uh, he, I told him I would say things about him that he might not like. But that's all right. We're, we're friends, and we do a lot of business together, it seems. Um, Alistair's, uh, um, this, this is a, uh, a remarkable piece of tomfoolery. And, of course, it did not endear Alistair to Andrew one bit. On the other hand, over the years, uh, things have gotten a little better. And at a book arts auction last, uh, last fall, Andrew and I were sitting next to one another, and Alistair Johnson actually served Andrew a glass of wine in the middle of the auction. And while he did it, he did it on bended knee. And I turned to Andrew and I said, well, you finally got him where you want him. He loved it. Anyway, Blackstone Press, uh, begun by myself in 1974 in Missoula, Montana, and soon joined by Shelley Hoyt, moved to San Francisco in the summer of 1978. I started by publishing a literary magazine, Montana Gothic, and then swiftly moved into letterpress printing and poetry chapbooks. I supported myself and my family by commission printing throughout my career and continue to do, it, to do so today. I was an autodidact for four years until I had the good fortune to apprentice myself to Adrian Wilson uh, my first year in San Francisco. I studied early Venetian printing at the University of California, Berkeley, where for a time I was a graduate student in the history of printing and publishing. But being too ornery to either stay partnered to Shelley Hoyt or to be a good graduate student, I took off on my own to establish Peter Rutledge Koch typographic design, otherwise known as Pete's Quick Print and Laundromat. In 1987, I formed a limited partnership with Wolf von den Busche to publish Point Lobos, a portfolio consisting of 15 poems by Robinson Jeffers, 15 photographs by Wolf, with an introduction by William Everson. Presently, I am at work on a Greek-English edition of the fragments of Heraclitus, translated by Gad, Guy Davenport, and an edition of the treatise on nymphs, sylphs, salamanders, and diverse spiritual creatures by Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim, also known as Paracelsus. That particular treatise is, is a marvel. Anyway, Shelley Hoyt has gone on to produce a beautiful suite of typographic prints and has lately been teaching visible structure, non-adhesive binding techniques, and painting remarkable landscapes. This is my first book, Born, uh, 1975, in, uh, printed on an, a very old press in, in, uh, uh, at the confluence of the uh, Bitterroot River and the Clark's Fork of the Columbia, 1975. This is Shooting Scripts uh, by Adam Cornford, um, 1975. The Shooting Scripts are his poems. The collage drawing, this is the title page spread. The collage is by Ludwig Zeller, an expatriate surrealist um, artist living in Toronto, expatriated from somewhere South America where he didn't, he didn't get along with the, with the prevailing political climate. Um, I completed this book um, the first few months that I was in San Francisco in 1978-79. This book, The Handbook of Ornament by Michael Poge, it was Michael Poge's second book, 1979, um, won every book design award of the year. Unfortunately, it was purchased more for the book design than for the poet's words, which I think is wrong. I think the poet's is really why it should have been had. And this is a shot of uh, my piece of furniture, Point Lobos. <laughs> it weighs 44 pounds, and uh, in, yeah, it's, a, it's, a nice, uh, it's, it's a nice hunk of walnut 
with some lovely photographs and prints inside. This is the title page, uh, or title sheet, it's not a page. Um, the typography in this, in this uh, uh, portfolio is all really due to um, Bertolt Vopa, who designed Alberta's type, and then the Pegasus, which I set the poems in. That's the only color in it. It's really a, a treatise in black and white. Uh, then the poems were set in um, the long, unbroken lines. And one of the wonders of setting Jeffords' poetry in long lines is you begin to understand his shape, that is, his craftsmanship, because his, the poems begin to really take shape. But it also necessitates that you print on a 17 by 22 inch format, which made it a little large for a book. And then this is a sample of one of the photographs that are inside, which if you're familiar with Jeffers' poetry, you will see uh, the ominous and uh, loaded nature. This is how I spent my summer, 1987. It was, uh, I was gonna go on a vacation, but I got a commission from uh, uh, Robert Mondavi to print this book. Uh, it's a vellum spine, handmade paper, visible structure binding by my ex-wife and partner, Shelley Hoyt. This is a, um, I just produced this book recently. This is a, um, entire, this is a, uh, a book untouched by human hands. It was entirely done on a Macintosh computer for Stanford University. It is the catalog of a, an exhibition, Poetry and Revolution. It was produced uh, at Adobe um, in um, Silicon Valley and entirely by their technicians, me trying to tell them what to do. And then this final shot is my self-portrait captured in words. Rebus Press was founded in 1972 by Jim Petrillo and Betsy Davids. Betsy began printing with a copy of Ben Lieberman's Printing as a Hobby and a Nolan Proofing Press at California College of Arts and Crafts in Oakland in 1970, where she was teaching English and writing poetry. Their first book, Double Rising Eyelids Rolling Blue, consisted of 10 poems by Betsy with four illustrations by Ed Moore in 1972. Their sixth book, which we have here, The Softness on the Other Side of the Hole, a novella about male sexual fantasies by Kenneth Davids, her ex-husband, is somewhat reminiscent of an outhouse and a peep show at the same time. The binding, designed by Jim Petrillo, consists of plywood, piano hinges, rivets, hair, and a hole, 1976. The ninth book, Half Off, Stories and Images by Mimi Pond, has a shower cap binding and what appears to be the first shower curtain end sheets, 1981. <laughs> I love these books. The press has uh, issued a number of one-of-a-kind books or book-like objects and is currently producing Dreaming Aloud, Book Two, Dream Writing by Betsy Davids, produced on a computer and laser printed. That is a portrait of Betsy. She's seen worn, wearing a very stylish hat most of the time these days, however. Rebus Press has been consistently innovative and humorous, and for 20 years, Betsy has been teaching book arts at California College of Arts and Crafts and turning not a few students to the consideration of the book form. Um, Lee McClellan's Meadow Press was established in 1974 in Iowa City where she studied letterpress printing and binding while she earned an MFA at the Writer's Workshop. Influenced by Kim Merker and the Midwest, she moved to San Francisco in 1977. 
She has consistently devoted herself to the printing of poetry and her own illustrations and to the binding techniques she has learned along the way. A prolific loner, she has single-handedly produced over 15 books and a considerable number of broadsides. She earns uh, a part of her living designing books for commercial enterprises and has taught printing and binding at the California College of Arts and Crafts and Mills College. Hawaii One Summer by Maxine Hong Kingston, 1987, was illustrated by Deng Ming Dao with four, with four color woodcuts and bound in a special split-board binding structure with exposed sewing over purple tapes designed by Betty Lou Chaika and bound by Lee herself. The binding. It's a very handsome volume. Uh, there is the double, this is a fold-out title page, one of the prints and then Maxine Hong Kingston. Um, a side note at this time is that, that I didn't include in here because it's not a press. Uh, Betty Lou Chaika was a, a fabulous resource for a number of years. She taught bookbinding at Mills College up until last year when she moved to, or a year before last, when she moved to um, North Carolina, Chapel Hill area, a real loss because she was one of the most uh, knowledgeable uh, binders and I've ever met, but I, this is not a, a, about binding, and I won't say any more. The, the Hayek Press was founded in 1976 by Robin Hayek and has to date published 14 books of poetry and one treatise on marbling. All are original works and all are meticulously crafted. Robin designs and prints the books on her Chandler and Price Craftsman Press and has them bound by professional bookbinders, often Hans Schuberth, the renowned San Francisco craftsman. Robin's first book was Sunday in Another Country by Francis Mays in 1974. Other authors include Honor Johnson, William Dickey, and Adrian Rich. In 1983, The Arts of Fire appeared by Francis Mays, and the stunning title page was marbled at the press. And two years later, Robin completed her own, or her one nonfiction publication, her own marbling at the Hayek Press in 1985. Uh, Robin's work is consistently strong and restrained, and she is devoted to the reading, teaching, and publishing of poetry. She often publishes her books in two editions, a deluxe quarter leather binding on handmade paper and an inexpensive paperback volume on better-grade machine-made papers. The press is located 30 miles south of San Francisco in the Hayek family residence garage. I mean, in the Hayek family garage. Now, the next press, the Somber Reptiles Press, was formed by the painter Marianne Hayden and the poet Jerry Ratch in the fall of 1978 and printed his last book in the spring of 1984. In all, the press published 16 titles, two of which were small offset chapbooks. Three were offset editions with extensive letterpress embellishment in, in color, and the remaining titles were printed at the press using a Vandercook proofing press. Somber Reptiles also printed a large selection of press ephemera and five limited edition letterpress prints by Marianne Hayden. Their first book, Crabs, by Stanley Bummer, also known as Daryl Gray, was limited to 26 copies and due largely to the influence of Alastair Johnston. And that just happens to be how I met these, these couple. Uh, I was at a party when I first got to San Francisco in the North Beach area, uh, thrown by Jack Hirschman, one of the wild men of the Beat generation. and, and uh, someone was passing around this little teeny copy of Crabs by this bummer and I was captivated I said who had done it and I was drugged into the kitchen and introduced to, to Jerry and Marianne 
1979, they published Jerry Ratch's poetic text, Chaucer Marginalia, very unusual treatment, printed offset with letterpress embellishment. Here we have the title page. Um, and this is a, a spread of the book. Uh, everything, but the, everything but the words were printed letterpress. In uh, 1981, Kill Jim appeared, a uh, text by Don Cushman, which is really a, a sort of a, uh, an avant-garde uh, approach to uh, murder mysteries, tough guy sort of things. This is the title page, which is very reminiscent of some of Marianne's prints, uh, some of them. Uh, the early work of the press shows the influence of Poltroon Press, but the most successful designs were achieved later on when Marianne began to exert her own graphic sense, which often reflected the paintings her, uh, of the period that she's been, she was doing. Well, thus far, I've, this can be a while before we catch up with this image. Thus far, I have concentrated on the smaller Bay Area, San Francisco, and the East Bay. Now I will enlarge the reach to include Santa Cruz, about 60 miles to the south of San Francisco at the top of the Monterey Bay. Santa Cruz has attracted printers and poets and scholars for about as long as, or about as many years as the University of California has had its campus there. Adrian Wilson and Ansel Adams teamed up to produce a photographic book seminar there one summer. William Everson was appointed to a chair and brought the Lime Kiln Press into being there. George Hitchcock and his Kayak Magazine, printed in his basement, and the Cowell College Press were all connected to the university. As I noted earlier, Everson produced his masterpiece, Granite and Cypress, at the Lime Kiln Press in the mid-70s. Jack Stoffaker inaugurated the Cowell College Press as a model teaching press and was followed in that position by Sherwood Grover, formerly a pressman at the Grabhorn Press, and by George Kane, who is there today, who, after retiring from the newspaper business, took up the birch rod. These printers and teachers have created a Santa Cruz contingent of young printers, of whom I will mention only a few. Tom Killian, a native of Mill Valley, studied history at the UC Santa Cruz, and also studied with both Stoffaker and Everson. In 1975, he produced his first book of landscape prints and poetry, 28 Views of Mount Tamalpais. Uh, the poetry is by Tom Killian as well. Um, a mountain, Mount Tamalpais is a mountain that dominates Mill Valley and southern Marin County. In 1977, he published his second book, Fortress Marin, and established his own quail press. In 1979, he published his monumental Coast of California, which in 1988 was issued as a trade edition by David Godin. His project, Walls, is now in progress. The title is up in the upper right. One of the more interesting things about Tom Killian is that his, his, he's just earned his PhD at Stanford in, uh, in the, uh, uh, the political economy of some obscure, not really obscure, but obscure to me, Russia, um, African country. And he travels all the time with a knapsack on his back and does amazing wilderness feats. And he's been in Africa and all over the world. And uh, this book, Walls, is a, a, a compilation of uh, the study of these, uh, or a book-like study of these journeys. This is a, a print from the book Walls, which is the steep ravine cabins and beach, just over the bridge from uh, uh, where I live. Gary Young is a poet and a printer and a publisher, and he began his Greenhouse Review in 1975 
and has since 1976, produced 16 books of poetry and under his imprint, the Greenhouse Review Press. Now, I was re- um, dependent upon the printers to supply me with these slides, and his slides were not good enough to show you, I'm sorry, but his main influence and teacher slides are, and they're coming up right here. Anyway, in the late 70s, he established a friendship with Jean Holtan and Elizabeth Sanchez, who had recently um, escaped from L.A., as they put it, and established a press in their cottage studio right about two blocks from the beach in Santa Cruz. Uh, Jean had been a professional illustrator and had worked with some of the better printers in Los Angeles. But his career was entirely as an illustrator of of trade trade publications, and then he just took up the letterpress and... um, influenced Gary enormously, and the book Geography of Home, which I don't illustrate, is a collaboration of all their parts for the, uh, and a fruit of a real friendship. Gene is a master illustrator and has produced a number of letterpress posters, prints, and several books. He's always experimenting and is what I would call the gyro gearloose of letterpress technique. And if you know who gyro gearloose is, you probably don't. He was a character in Donald Duck comic books who was a mad inventor. And Gene invents all kinds of letterpress techniques. These posters are about half the size of what you see here. They're about 18 by 24. This is a, uh, one day someone gave him <clears throat> about 40 drawers of wooden type. And in, in drawer six, it was an amazing, up, he decided he would print up everything in drawer six. And he made a book entitled Drawer Six. Um, that's one of my, I, I, these techniques are pretty stunning. He, he, uh, all these, he doesn't use zinc plates. These are all handmade plates that he's, he's carved and, and, and you know, worked on himself. Uh, Felicia Rice began printing in 1977 and studied with Everson, Wills, Adrian Wilson, Jack Stoffiger, and Sherwood Grover. She uh, teaches classes with George Kane at the Cowell Press. She established her own imprint, Moving Parts Press, in 1977 and created the Mutant Drone Press in 1983 to produce limited editions in response to Reaganomics. I'm quoting her. She operates a letterpress job shop and has devoted her publishing efforts to contemporary poets and writers. A politically active woman, she also produces posters and ephemeral items relating to issues environmental and aesthetic. These are just several of her books. Now, Peter and Donna Thomas are the proprietors of the Good Book Press. And Peter dates his beginning of self-employment in the book arts in 1974. This is his Ecclesiastes. It's a miniature book. Um, He established his press in 1976. He studied with William Everson and with Sherwood Grover. Peter and Donna are paper makers as well as authors, printers, and binders, and produce miniature books as well as luxurious levers deluxe. They have published 41 titles. Their most notable work has been The Poet is Dead by William Everson, an elegy upon the death of Robinson Jeffers. This is the binding uh, uh, for the book, um, The Poet is Dead, executed by by Donna. The paper, in the case of this book, they they produced the paper there, they printed it, and they bound it themselves at the press. The illustration in the book is by Tom Killian, uh, I just talked about, and this book is really what I would call a hardcore Everson traditional San Francisco, uh, Santa Cruz book. I should also note in passing, this is on beyond now, I should also note in passing that Richard Biggis, who studied with Jack Stoffaker and Everson, but who published primarily outside the region, whenever, wherever his academic career has taken him, 
Uh, his ode to typography by Pablo Neruda was greeted with massive criticism by a few readers of Fine Print Magazine. Marin County, to the north of the city, has its share of printers, the most prominent of which are the Allens. But there, are also, there also resides Arlen Philpott of the Ta Tamil Land Press, Bruce Washbish of the Anchor and Acorn Press, and Carol Cunningham, proprietor of the Sunflower Press. Now here we have Diane Weiss, proprietor of the Figment Press, and she has been printing in Mill Valley since 1967. Her book, Compositions in Black and White, well, it's in here. There it is. Reproduce her father, James Katie Ewell's pen and inks from his show at the Art Institute of Chicago in 1919. Uh, her miniature book, work, no, wait, this is, how am I doing? Is that way out? There. Um, for instance, this carousel book, which would be pretty hard in a close-up to get in focus. Her miniature work is quite charming, especially the colorful carousel book. Uh, Susan Acker has been at the Feathered Serpent Press since 1973. She continues the work of the press begun by Don Graham Kelly in 1951, printing primarily for other publishers, including the Book Club of California and the Yosemite Association. Her current work in progress, To Judge the Color of Grapes, is an essay by Crispin Elsted on Italians and art and is decorated with her own etchings. These are samples of the etchings that she's developing for the book, which hasn't been published. It's just in progress right now. In nearly the same breath, and this is my last slide, I would like to mention the Berkeley printer Marilyn Poole Adams and her Poole Press. Although Marilyn is not a Marin printer, she took workshops with Don Kelly and Susan Acker. Marilyn began in the mid-70s after reading Virginia Woolf's letters and diaries and has designed set-type printed and illustrated and hand-bound 25 miniatures including three pop-up movable books and a two-volume peep show of Through the Looking Glass and Alice's Adventures Underground. The History of Printing, 1985, this is the uh, box, that's actual type and in it. It stands up about, as you can imagine, a little over an inch high. And she's also done Peeps, pop-ups, Samuel Peeps' diary excerpts, and her latest work, Punch and Judy. And Granite and Cypress appear as twin sentinels in the movement of fine printing, away from the industry of printing and publishing. Uh, in 1975, also, fine print began to record the movements of designer printers and publishers around the world, and a new era I think began. Today, 15 years later, there are over 50 presses active in the region that I have described. Seven colleges and universities offer classes in the book arts, and there are a number of organizations and social clubs that center their activities around the fine printing community. The Colophon Club of San Francisco, whose members are printers, binders, calligraphers, typographers, and artists, the Pacific Center for the Book Arts, the Handbook Binders of California, the Book Club of California, the Roxburgh Club, just to name a few, or maybe most of them. There are two new academic programs opening up in San Francisco this year. The New College of California, a tough and streetwise city college, offers a Bachelor of Arts in the Humanities and a Master of Fine Arts and Poetics, with an emphasis in the Book Arts. And San Francisco State University will inaugurate a pilot program with the Wilson's Press in Tuscany Alley called the Adrian Wilson Press of San Francisco State University. I am the quantum director of one of those programs and the designated master printer of the other. 
the foregrowing has been a rough and ready sort of accumulation, and over the next several years, I hope to expand and polish this into a presentable publication and an exhibition. Again, I've left out several notable presses, and I apologize, and I invite your comments and suggestions. Thank you.